Love Talk Radio. Franchise pros, stand a man, Paul Segretto. Time to show you the way of franchising today. Hey, do you possess the spirit of an entrepreneur? Wanna lay your business plan down like a rug or a floor? Or maybe you have a dream of opening a chain of delis? Or whatever passion likes that pilot life under your belly? Or do you want to start a business, fam, using the proven trademark from another brand? And grow together and expand like a rage of fire from a single to a multi-unit empire? Well, pay attention to this podcast that you hear and streaming in HD fine-tuned above your ears, and standing Paul lays down the law, whether you want to be a franchisee or a franchisor, it's all about sustainable growth, the sensible franchising, proven concepts to start enterprises, so use your left and right side of your brain and absorb this knowledge here of franchising today, huh, Badlands, baby, huh, franchising today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today. Sustainable growth to sensible franchise. Franchise today. Franchise today. Franchise today. Hello, everyone in the franchise world. My name is Paul Segreto, and this is Franchise Today. Badlands, baby. Stan Friedman, (laughs) how are you today? Living the dream, Paul. Living the dream. I mean, look, we're both you know, east, we're east and west of yeah, each other, it, but thank goodness neither of us is I north, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, talking to our friends up in Philadelphia, Nate Greenberg and, and company, and they're all snowed in. I want to back up to Badlands a second, Stan. I'm listening to the words again as we do every week, and I always go back to uh, you saying how quick the quick conversation that you had with him and he just was able to, uh, to, to grab the high points. But when you're listening to it, you know, he's talking about sustainable, sensible franchising. It's, you know, industry segments and uh, it's just, uh, it's just wonderful. I mean, what a, what a great mind right there. He's a talented guy and, and bigger than life too. I mean, Eric's a big dude, but, um, he, you know, he's a competitive eater, which is how I've met him and known him for the last 12 or 15 years. Um, but he's a talented, talented musician and composer and loves music as big as he loves eating. And as big as he is physically, his passion for music is number one. And his talent and his passion are right there in alignment, as you've just pointed out. He's a great guy. You should meet him sometime. We'll get you up to Buffalo, Paul. Yeah, I look I look forward to it. Bad lands, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> and when I talk about bad, I say it in a good way as it's often used. Man, that was really bad. Uh and I refer to uh just a tremendous interview uh that you did with me last uh Wednesday. You got a lot of good positive feedback. Uh, it wasn't the easiest thing to do from my standpoint, but uh, I am glad we did it. Uh, I like sharing the story, and uh, and hopefully we'll have many people uh, learn from it as well. I believe that's the case. I know I've heard from several people as well, and, uh, you know, it's when one just puts it all out there, what we do in franchising, right? Um, sometimes people know you, but they are, they don't know the whole you. And so it's uh, it was very nice for you to do that, Paul, and, and it was kind of fun for me to do the interview, and I and, uh, hope it wasn't too painful. I didn't want to be like 60 minutes, you know. We don't have uh, we don't we don't have that kind of format here. Um, we're talking about this now, and our guest is sitting on the line, probably breaking a sweat, going, "Oh God, what have I gotten myself into today?" But no, it's not like that here. <laughs> we treat each other a little well, we, differently we, than we do our guests. <laughs> well, before we bring uh, John on, what's uh, what's going on in the franchise world today, Stan? Hey, there are just a couple of things I'm going to call out today because I don't want to waste too much time on the front end and, and uh, not have the time we'd love to have with John Fistolara. So I do want to call out, though, our good friends Peter Cancro and the Jersey Mike's family, Brian Summers and, and company, doing it again. Um, you know, they've, they've spotlighted ordinary people doing extraordinary things across the con- country. 
and they do this and make it evident from 2,600 nominations to receive one of one of five of Jersey Mike's sub abover grants. These are $5,000 grants that uh, Jersey Mike's makes available to people making a big difference in their local communities. And I'm going to just call out the names of those who took those honors this year. And you can link back to the IFA Insider or IFA Smart Brief, or I'm sure you're up to the Jersey Mike Jersey Mike's webpage to learn more about Lara Lopez of Lantana, Texas, Mariah Smith of Virginia Beach, Virginia, Rody Thompson down in Florida, Tallahassee, Jeff Van Autriv, Princeton, Illinois, and Jim and Terry Wastley of Holly Spring, North Carolina. All five uh, brilliant people in their own right doing things that I love to call doing well by doing good and being recognized for that by Jersey Mike's sub awards and uh, a $5,000 grant. So uh, learn more about those people and know that there are a few companies that have the culture of giving that could be any richer than that of Jersey Mike's. Also wanted to talk just briefly, Paul, about uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers has just issued an update, which is a, you know, it's a five-year-old uh, historical data point that's being referenced here. But uh, what they've done is they've issued the Franchise Business Ownership by Minority and Gender Groups report, which is an update for the IFA Foundation, the Educational Foundation. And again, it, it shows that there are increasing numbers of both women and ethnic minorities entering the franchise space uh, over a five-year period. It's a striking, strikingly high improvement in certain categories, as much as 50%. That said, the 50% is an improvement over what was already a way too low number. So I'm going to be tearing into this report a little bit more and talking about it in the weeks ahead. But anyone, again, that's interested in learning about the impact that franchising is having on ethnic minority communities and women in franchising can find the report on the IFA's website, or they can link to it through the last and current issue of IFA Insider or IFA's Smart Brief, and they'll find more about it there. And as I tear into these numbers, I'll be sharing more over the next few weeks. Last thing I want to bring to the audience is for those that may be in Atlanta coming up on Tuesday, April 10th, the Southeast Franchise Forum's luncheon, and it's open to any IFA members uh, because this is one of the four a year that we do at lunchtime, which is in conjunction with the Franchise Business Network. So Southeast Franchise Forum breakfast meetings are all only for CEF members, but the quarterly luncheons are open to anyone who belongs to IFA. And our upcoming luncheon in April on the 10th is going to feature Cheryl Batchelder, who is the former CEO of Popeyes, who has just written a great book on how to drive superior results by serving others. So Cheryl will be joining us to talk about servant leadership. She's going to be giving away autographed copies of her book, and if anyone wants to know more about that, drop me a note, and I'll help you get registered for this event as long as you're an IFA member. And, Paul, I think for the front of the house, right now there, that's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. I, I have to see if I can get to it, Lana. I'd love to hear uh, Cheryl speak. You know, we haven't uh, – we, we, we've done on occasion, you can't make this up, uh, segment of franchising. <laughs> and, uh, uh, again – KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, is back in the spotlight <laughs> of you can't make this up, running out of uh, uh, chicken uh, overseas. Uh, supply chain change uh, caused the, uh, the, the chain to uh, uh, miss out on having chicken. And it was interesting in how they handled that crisis by juggling <laughs> the KFC logo uh, <laughs> acronym to F. CK and uh, <laughs> and they and they did a great job and of course as many will remember when we had them last on you can't make this up um, they also had a new uh, suntan lotion that smelled like fried chicken and I haven't heard much about that since and now I'm also seeing a matter of fact a good friend of the show Kit Vincent posted on Facebook 
God, I have to see Reba McIntyre one more time as the colonel. Uh, I'm not coming back to Kentucky Fried Chicken for a year. Every time <laughs> I see it, I, I couldn't agree more. Kentucky Fried Chicken in the spotlight again. You just can't yeah. make that up. I saw that on, um, I think either LinkedIn <laughs> or Facebook, and I and I posted turning lemon into lemonade. You know, that's uh, yes, that was a did. great PR coup. Yeah, that was. It was really great. Well, you know, Stan, I know uh, there's a, a big national organization, DECA, that's close to your heart. And with nearly 70-year history, DECA has impacted the lives of more than, and this is unbelievable, 10 million students, educators, school administrators, and business professionals since it was founded in 1946. Uh, the DECA brand identifies a remarkable experience in the preparation of emerging leaders and entrepreneurs. Uh, two of my children uh, were, were involved in DECA in, in high school. I know you're very involved, uh, especially at the, uh, the competitive level. And today's guest is none other than John Fistolera, the Assistant Executive Director, Corporate and External Affairs of DECA. John, welcome to Franchise Today. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Well, it is uh, exciting to have you here. I know Stan uh, has spoken to me uh, quite a bit in just the last 24 hours uh, about you, and of course he's always uh, talking about uh, DECA, and I know we've had some some friends and some people on the show that were uh, with DECA in their earlier years. Um, Like we do every time on the show, we always ask our guests, uh, to kind of take us back at a certain point in time, because you know when you when you were starting out in your career, um, whether it be entrepreneurship or working with kids, whatever the case might be, and certainly as we do uh, with franchising, we don't know that we're going to wind up uh, where we are today. Take us back to a certain point that took you on this trek uh, all the way up into the position you hold today at Decca. Sure, uh, happy to do that. And and as I was listening to the opening of the show, um, I think you know it just is a really uh, great tie into my path to DECA. When you know Stan mentioned ordinary people doing extraordinary things, um, you know, as I was a high school student, I actually was a member of DECA, but um, was was never particularly focused on the business aspects of the organization, but really the leadership aspects of the organization and um, so served as a chapter officer and a state officer and ultimately as a high school division uh, president and, um, you know, really wasn't thinking about the, the business side of the business, but, but really the personal leadership and organizational leadership uh, aspect of that. And, and those, you know, suited me well through college. I continued that, you know, leadership path by, you know, serving as the president of my college and um, interning at the uh, then governor's uh, field office in San Francisco and and um, started my career in Sacramento after that, um, working for the assembly leadership and then uh, giving it uh, been given an assignment with a new member of uh, the newly elected state assembly and uh, graduating up from that to the Senate majority's uh, leader's office, um, and was on a perfectly good career uh, there doing, you know, kind of what I thought was um, my part in, well, maybe not changing the world, but at least the state of California in a, in a best, better, more positive way, and that led me to working for an electric uh, utility industry at the peak of the state's energy crisis, and lo and behold, I got to uh, request um, from DECA, um, very much out of the blue, their director of development was retiring, and he happened to be uh, an advisor of mine many, many years prior when I was a student, and they were just asking for uh, letters for his retirement book, and so I said, I'm happy to send a letter for Tim, and the next time you guys are in California, um, let me know, and, and we will try to reconnect. And um, the executive director at the time said, well, that's great. By the way, I have an opening here. Uh, is it something that you would be interested in? And at the time, that was not my career path at all. Um, 
you know, I was now about 10 years deep into my um, public policy career and uh, figured that, you know, that was going to be my me- my next step as well, either, again, in California or a regional basis or at the national level. But he convinced me to go out to their International Career Development Conference, which is their biggest event of the year, and just see how the organization had changed and grown since I was a student. Um, And so I did that. And what I saw was, you know, ordinary people doing extraordinary things for young people, but not just for young people, for, you know, business and industry as well. And so, you know, what was a no at the time, you know, changed to a maybe for sure. And then um, to a yes, how could I, you know, not do um, uh, this work as well and really make the kind of impact that uh, um, had so positively affected me and was still clearly so positively um, influencing young people. And so John, uh, now for I'm... Purpose, sure. For the, of our, for the purpose of those in our audience who aren't as familiar with DECA as Paul and myself, and of course you, you are, why don't we wind back just an inch or two and give the audience a thumbnail of, of what DECA's work is and how it does it both at the high school and at the college level. Sure, absolutely. Well, as I was thinking about that, Stan, you know, we hear a lot today in the news about um, revolutionizing our educational system and meeting the skills gap by introducing uh, either the German model or the uh, European model of of internships into the way that we deliver um, our uh, uh, education in in the United States and and really what DECA is is that model but with an entrepreneurial focus. Um, so the, that is to say that you know a European model has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, but it's really cash based. So, you know, if you if your mom or dad was uh, a welder or a, uh, a, a, a tradesperson and that's how you tested early on in your school career, then, you know, that's the educational and career path that you get. And in the United States, we understood that it was really important to develop, uh, to induce young people to careers. Um, and especially careers that were critical to the national economy. But, you know, we have a much more entrepreneurial spirit. So we decided to to introduce young people to the kaleidoscope of careers that are available in the national economy and critical to our sustained growth, but to allow them to self-select and allow them to pursue education, coursework, real-world experiences that help prepare them for success either in the job market right after high school or in college and then into careers after that college. And so our model is pretty simple. It really hasn't changed in 70 years. It starts with um, an elective course that a student takes in high school, whether that's business or entrepreneurship or marketing. Pair that teacher with a business partner to enliven that classroom instruction, really to add context, some real-world validation. So the business doesn't come in and teach the course, but they come in and say, hey, if you're learning about entrepreneurship, here's Stan Friedman, who spent a career in franchise entrepreneurship to tell you, you know, the real deal about what it means to operate a franchise business. And then the student has to go out and actually do something active, something real to develop skills that are connected with that classroom learning. So in many cases, that's actually going out and working in a franchise system so that they can, you know, understand it from soup to nut and really validate as to whether or not that's the career path that they want. And then our third step is assessment. And what we use is competition to uh, validate whether or not a student has gained the academic knowledge, developed the connected skills, and is really prepared to be successful in that. So sticking with the franchise example, 
a student could be learning about entrepreneurship, franchise entrepreneurship as their class, working in a franchise business in their community. And then they would go out and actually develop a franchise business plan model, and that's how we work with the Educational Foundation, um, that they enter into competition at the local level, at the state level, and then at the international level. And that business plan is judged by real professionals like the two of you who know, you know what makes a good franchise business plan and what makes a bad business franchise plan. And they provide that feedback back to the student. You're on track here. You're a little off here. Um, your financials look a little rosy. You know, haven't done seasonal <laughs> adjustments. But, um, uh, or, yeah, you're ready to start a franchise business and let me connect you with the person who actually owns, you know, that, that franchise to get you started in that process. So I'm going to take, so that, I'm going to take, oh, go ahead. I'm going to take the, uh, the audience back in time with us. And I can't remember, John, if it was 2004 or five, what year it was, but I was at wing zone and I had a call from John Reynolds, who was then the president of the IFA's educational foundation. And Don DeBolt was the president of the IFA and CEO of IFA. And Don was getting ready to retire. And he told the IFA board that he didn't want the treasury of IFA spent on any kind of a, a gift for him in his retirement. He said, if any money was going to get spent instead, spend that money on inspiring youth into franchising. Do, do something to inspire entrepreneurship in young kids. And the call I got from John Reynolds was to tell me that IFA had been scouring um, students in free enterprise, DECA, and um, Future Business Leader of America award winners looking for who would be the first Don DeBolt scholarship awardee. And that young man is listening to us today, John. Um, Doug Quimby wrote a business plan, and to bring to life what you just talked about, Doug Quimby was tasked in Long Island, New York, with finding a franchise business that doesn't exist in your neighborhood but should. And he did exit interviews at fast food restaurants asking people, you know, why are you eating here? What, what would you rather eat? Or where would you, where would you be if, if blank were available? And chicken wings kept coming up, and Doug wrote his business plan on Wing Zone. And he had to write a pro forma and do a three-year plan of you know, pretending that he's making application for the actual funds to open that franchise unit. And then he went into competition, and he won the New York State competitions, and he went to this national program or international program that John talked about. Uh, the ICDC, and um, and Doug, you know, a 17-year-old young man, stands in front of a judge like me acting the role of the banker, and he has to tell me why I should loan him the money to um, to, to get this wing zone open and pretend that we're role-playing for, for a loan. Well, that was my introduction to Decker as a judge after seeing Doug Quimby win the award at the IFA convention and get the Don DeBolt Award for his plan Doug invited me to come to the ICDC in Dallas and come see what I thought he was the most amazing young man in the world. I found that there were 17,000 more just like him, khakis, blazers, um, and, and many verticals, franchising being just one. There was, you know, retailing and merchandising and fashion. But I met John Fistolera then, and, um, and John, I don't think I've let go of you ever since. I've, I've just been awed by what work you do in helping bring the bridge between young people like Doug and the work you do at the educational level to make it happen and business, because that's really the pivot point for you. You're not just working with the kids and bringing these programs together and making it happen. You're out there recruiting organizations to fund and support and to provide leadership as well. Talk a little bit about that piece of what you do for DECA. Yeah, that's really critical, Dan. Um, our program, you know, outcome has, uh, to our model has has really four major points, and you know the the one that is uh, my area of responsibility is that all of our programs connect to business at every level, and that means you know in the classroom that you know businesses are part of that classroom instruction, you know again to bring that contextual learning um, that they're providing you know students with those real world um, opportunities. And then at the assessment level, they're measuring, you know, whether or not we, DECA, have done our job 
And, of course, you know, again, that goes to the point of doing well by doing good that you brought up. These businesses are engaged with DACA and supporting our program, not just out of the goodness of their heart, but because they need access to these young people, either for, you know, their current retail staffing model or for their customer base or for the sustainability of their industry over the long haul. Um, and that's what I sell. And I go out and, and try to find uh, uh, businesses, um, as you mentioned, in, in every vertical that, that we cover, entrepreneurship, uh, marketing, sales and service, finance, hospitality, business management, and demonstrate to them that, that you know, whether or not you need a, a partially trained, highly motivated retail employee today, whether or not you need customer insight to that high school and college marketplace that is so critical to your your brand or your product, or whether you need that first career employee coming out of college, this is the right source and a sustainable source for you to engage both, you know, to help your business do well and do good in the in the long term. And, um, you know, we have over 70 companies that have supported us, some from the beginning of time, some, you know, um, uh, that are brand new to us that, you know, engage in, in all of those levels for the brand, for the retention of their current employees, um, for, for lots of that are unique to each brand. But the one thing that is common is that it attaches to an important, you know, uh, business line for that company, whether that's HR, whether that's sales, whether that's CSR, there's an intelligent design as to why they attach to DECA. And that intelligent design is part of what we're teaching our students as well. Companies aren't coming to us just because they have an unlimited amount of cash, you know, to support education and feel good about it. But there is a, um, a business line rationale, and that's what you need to understand as you go out and assume these leadership roles within business yourself. You're listening to Franchise Today, now in its ninth season of podcasting. I'm Stan Friedman, along with co-host Paul Segreto. And today we're talking about the next generation of franchising and the intersection of youth, entrepreneurship, and big business. And we're doing so with my good friend, John Fistelara, Assistant Executive Director of Corporate and External Affairs for DECA. Franchise Today is brought to you by the Franchise Foundry, where Paul and his team have been bringing emerging brands to market for more than 30 years. The Franchise Foundry fosters healthy, sustainable growth for their clients, the kind that comes from experience. The Franchise Foundry provides both coaching and consulting delivering more effective solutions for both the franchise's corporate team as well as for their franchisees. The Foundry's team is rich in practical, hands-on experience and expertise with general business management, operational and change management, digital marketing, and of course, franchise recruitment and development. Plus, the Foundry team can also assist with creating roadmaps for potential mergers and acquisitions and providing the guidance needed to navigate them. Learn more about Paul Segreto and the Franchise Foundry, along with their expanding list of clients, at www.FranchiseFoundry.com. Franchise Today is also brought to you by FRM Solutions, offering best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM empowers real-time business intelligence, communication and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and perspective as well as existing franchisees. This enables you to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all messages to and from prospects and existing Zs, including text. Legal and compliance is simplified as well with FRM's document management, and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored using FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and stored in candidate and franchisee records. 
FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospects, replacing old-style virtual brochures. No long-term contracts, multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost. On the web at frmsolutions.com. No excuses, just solutions. FRM Solutions. So, John, I think we've got a foundational understanding here, but we're going to give it to Paul to take this and and spread it out a little further. Paul. Yeah, you know, um, as our listening audience knows, I'm, I'm real passionate about emerging brands, and a lot of emerging brands are founded by um, young entrepreneurs. And, and, of course, I have a passion for young entrepreneurship and, and certainly – having been exposed by having, you know, two children go through the DECA program in high school. Um, I wish I had known about that program back in the, uh, in the seventies when I went to high school and I know DECA was around back then, but a lot of people think of organizations as just something to join and be affiliated with. And obviously DECA is, is, is way different than that. Uh, I know at the high school level, there are, are various challenges that DECA students are, are, are put through. And they're, they're, they're as close to real life uh, as possible. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what the students go through so that the individuals like I was before my kids got involved kind of have an idea of, of the type of preparation that they're going through that's going to benefit them in later years in life. Sure, and I'm glad that you brought that up, Paul. Um, the, the thing that's really different about DECA than any of the other clubs or organizations that, you know, students, which are all good, um, you know, getting students to do more, I, I mean, that's, that's, you know, the first step. But, but the defining difference between, you know, the, the DECA experience and any other extracurricular uh, organization is that to participate in DECA, students have to be enrolled in a business class, and that class is elective. So our students are making, you know, an independent uh, decision, you know, personal responsibility of, about, you know, what's my life going to look like after high school or college, or what do I want it to look like after high school and college? And I'm going to take this class you know, to, to take personal responsibility for that pathway. And they get into that class, and then, you know, from the, the whole uh, catalog of choices, they say, well, okay, you know, what's a personal interest to me? What's a passion point for me? And how can I pursue it um, through what I'm taking in class? And then, you know, beyond that, they're encouraged to do a little bit more, go out of class you know, get some real-life experience in this work area just to make sure that it fits for me. And then, okay, if that's really sort of a fit, then how do I pursue this after I graduate high school? Do I need to go to college? What major would be connected to me? And, you know, of those 70 corporate partners that we have, about half of them are colleges and universities that are interested in, in a student that have um, one, and you know, an aptitude uh, to, to enroll in college and be prepared for, for uh, graduation, <clears throat> but really know why they're going to college and what they would do with it um, af after they, they go through college. And then, you know, just upon, you know, above and beyond that, you know, they're just competitive in nature, right? They're, they're very high-spirited. They are taking personal responsibility for that career path. They're taking affirmative action, you know, to get themselves to that, you know, career path goal um, that they have set for themselves and, and has been guided by their teacher, by their employer, by their mentors, by, you know, whoever they can attach themselves to. You know, I mean, in a way, whether, whether or not they pr pursue franchise, it's, it's really, you know, sort of very franchised um, in its nature. They have connected themselves to a professional association, whether they knew that initially or not, um, and, and a system that is designed 
to help them achieve that success. And then just a network of more experienced professionals, you know, contemporary uh, um, uh, professionals, you know, that are going through that same uh, uh, path and and struggle and exploration at the same time that um, will be connected with them for their entire life. You know, John, I want to uh, I want to bring the third leg of the step stool into focus as well because we've talked about the kids and we've talked about the business community. The third side of of the wheel for me, or the triangle, really, is the educational community and how it comes together with the assistance of people like Bob Ombrewster here in Georgia, who is the president of the Georgia DECA Foundation, and he, you talk about somebody who herds cattle, Um, you know, John John tries to raise money for the foundation's work in Georgia, which is to help support the DECA activities in the state of Georgia, and there are people in all 50 states and around the world, like like Bob, that do what they do to help uh, fund scholarships, to help support the programs that are being administered at the schools and the biggest task of all um, every year when there's a national event like the ICDC coming to your city, which it is here in Atlanta this year in April, you know, herding cattle, uh, getting judges together. I want to call out just the names of a few judges that in the franchising world are participating in this year's ICDC um, in April, Diane Fibbs from Franchise Update, Jim and Kim Donovan with Loud and Clear PR, Deborah Webb Ivy from Primrose Schools, Paul McKenzie, your opening day, Barry Falcon from My Franchise Group, Cassidy Ford and yours truly from FRM Solutions and Christina Chambers, who herself was a DECA kid and is now heading up franchising for Huddle House out of Atlanta. All of us and many more, I'm sure there are many others, I know these are those that I've helped Bob uh, try to secure, but that other piece of the, the that third leg of the steps duel, John, it couldn't all this couldn't work without the support of the institutions, the the schools themselves. Talk a little bit more about that. You're right, Ken. It really can't. Um, we have about 225,000 student members uh, annually, and uh, those those uh, students are in classrooms at the local level. And those classrooms are led by teachers, and, and our teachers don't do DECA because it makes their teaching easier. They do it because it makes their teaching better, and they're not paid more to do it. They just see that, you know, um, their their classroom experience becomes much richer, and their student um, uh, learning, you know, becomes much much better, and. Um, and that's really, you know, again, where the, the value to business comes in as well. So, you know, we run DECA out of our shop in Reston, Virginia, with our staff of, of 30 professionals. But we have 5,000 chapters in all 50 states and nine foreign countries that are led by, you know, those volunteer advisors. And um, at the state level, by... Um, usually a representative um, that comes from that teacher core as well. And they conduct all of these events beginning at the classroom level and then encourage students and voluntarily organize groups of students to attend activities above the classroom level. Usually that's at a regional uh, basis within the state and then at the state level And then those students who qualify um, in their competitions at the state level continue on to the International Career Development Conference, the ICDC that you referenced, which um, will be this year in Atlanta, Georgia, April 21 to 24. And we'll have about 20,000 conference attendees there. But that starts back at the classroom level with 225,000 students and led by 5,000 volunteer teachers. And then that goes up to the state level where you'll have about, oh, 75,000 students competing at the state level. And then, again, you know, 20,000 that that um, 
volunteer teacher puts on planes, trains, automobiles, and gets them, uh, <laughs> some young people who've never left their town, right, to a different state um, to uh, bring their business plan competitions and their presentation boards and and uh, all of the skill and knowledge that they've acquired over the years to stand in front of a business person and, and make their case. Paul, before you run to your next question, I just I want to take my hat off to you, John, because it's no small job. I mean, I've never seen you break a sweat, but to manage an organization with three such disparate um, constituencies, young students, large business people, big business, and, uh, and then education, you look at the trisection, and to me, that's looking at a, like looking at a weather map when hot and cool air are coming together and create a storm. I mean, there's, there's three completely different groups of people that you juggle to bring all of this together, which, you know, to me is like being the CEO of a, of a publicly held corporation almost. It's, it's a lot of constituencies and it's a lot of weight, and you're running with a pretty lean ship and a, and a pretty mean and lean team. So, you know, my hat's off to you for year over year over year. Uh, pulling all this together and, and creating this opportunity for these kids to to move forth and conquer the world. And when I'm when I say this is an amazing thing for me personally, the experience that I had the first time I met you, John, um, I thought Doug Quimby was one of a kind. I didn't know there were Sean Goldsmiths and Alex Tracys and and tens of thousands oh, yeah. of others like them. Um, it it boggles my mind that all this work. Uh, gets pulled together, and my, you know, I can't credit you enough for the role you play in in making all this happen for the next generation of leaders in business and and franchising, and helping these kids uh, guide their course toward the future in in business. Well, I appreciate that, Stan, and and uh, we certainly do work hard, but we think you know that we have a good product and a and a good business model, and and. You know, our, our support from business and industry, you know, really helped us keep our business focused as a business, um, which is, you know, really important to me, but, but really important, you know, to every single thing that we do. And um, uh, we continue, as you mentioned, you know, taking them off, uh, continue to, to have the, the outcome that, that the organization hopes to have and, and all of the folks, you know, who engage in the program students, teachers, business folks, um, you know, expect us as an, an organization to deliver. You know, John, we, you, you talked about the, um, you know, the business uh, community that's out there uh, and obviously the, uh, the supporters that you have from a business standpoint um, as business partners, you know, providing strategic advice um, probably a lot of professional insight as well. And then, of course, you have your educational partners. And, and you mentioned government just a second ago, and I know that there's a, a congressional advisory board. What role uh, does government play uh, in, in helping and supporting and, and helping to guide DECA? Sure. So the government set forth as a uh, national education and economic policy um, as I mentioned, uh, career and technical education within the national education framework. And um, that focuses around the clusters of employment that are high growth for jobs within the national economy. And it's changed over the years as our national economy has changed. So career education in the United States has been part of our fabric for over 100 years, um, starting originally with agriculture education and home economics because that was the economy of the United States. Seventy years later, when distribution became, you know, an important part of the national economy, um, they added a curriculum and a student organization, Distributive Education Clubs of America, DECA, um, to address those needs for the national economy. They fund um, career and technical education at state level. That money goes out as blocks to the states to run programs at the state level and then state legislatures add whatever additional dollars if they have additional dollars to add and push it down to the local level. All of that money goes directly out to the states and to the locals to operate career and technical education and organizations like DECA. None of it comes to DECA 
We operate as an independent 501c3. Um, our headquarters is in the Washington Beach, D.C. area, and all of our operations are are uh, funded through our Ford estate. John, can you talk to us about the um, the mentoring that goes in, into the ICDC? The experience that I had was phenomenal with the graduating class of high school kids. Some of those kids, I wondered why I was there being a mentor. Um, I felt like I was learning from people that had already established businesses and and were doing some pretty amazing things. Um, help the audience understand how they can get involved and how they can become part of this incredible experience and, and uh, how it can enrich their lives as they help to build the lives of younger people. Sure. So I mentioned that our conference will be in Atlanta from uh, – April 21 to 24, we have two primary days of, of uh, for corporate engagement. The first is the morning of April the 22nd, and that's our executive mentoring program, which pairs corporate executives with a cadre of our students who are seniors in high school and preparing to graduate and move on to work or college or both. And it just gives the students an opportunity to talk to someone who's in the seat that they want to acquire about how to successfully transition. And uh, uh, we'll go through four roundtable discussions. Uh, a CEO will, or an executive will be at a table with 10 students, and we'll start a conversation. And that lasts about 20 minutes, and then we'll rotate another group of 10 and then another group of 10 and then another group of 10. So um, I'm not sure if it's speed dating with executives or executive speed dating with seniors <laughs> in high school, but um, it's probably a little bit of both. And then the next day is our first day of competition. And uh, Sorry, we, we uh, recruit about 80 executives for that program alone. The next Day is our first day of competition. This is where the students will present their business plans or role play with judges um, in one of their competitive event areas. And we actually recruit a thousand business and industry professionals to serve as judges on April the 23rd. And you can find information on both the executive mentor program and being a judge volunteer at www.com. Uh, DECA.org forward slash volunteer. And we have full-day volunteer opportunities or half-day volunteer opportunities for judging and mentoring. That's excellent. You know, John, looking at the, um, you know, the list of supporters, uh, and as you said earlier, about 50% of your supporters are, are pretty good-sized universities, uh, you know, looking at Babson, Ball State, uh, et cetera. And, of course, on the business side, um, you know, you have Marriott, you have Hilton, uh, you have Napa Auto Parts, uh, Walgreens, you know, some pretty big names. And, of course, uh, as we know, you know, small business represents a big part of the economy. What can the small business owner at the local level do to help DECA efforts? I'm glad that you asked that question because we certainly do have a lot of big brands. And, and those big brands, just by virtue of their brand, help to contextualize the learning, right? Because everybody thinks, you know, uh, well, I want to start my own auto parts store or, you know, I want to uh, open my own hotel. Um, but, you know, really the example of that comes through big brands not necessarily, you know, independent brands. And and uh, the initial reality is that um, to, to get that localized employment um, often comes through, you know, small business in their community. Um, so, you know, and the greatest need <laughs> comes from, for retail employment uh, comes from small businesses in the community where our chapters operate. So, you know, whether or not it's Marriott or, or Napa versus, you know, uh, Joe's uh, Auto Parts or Jane's Auto Parts or, you know, XYZ Hotel 
same concept of connecting to business holds true, whether it's international brand, a national brand, you know, or a, uh, a you know local brand with one shop, two shops, three shops in the community. They can, you know, connect with that teacher who becomes their sustainable partner in supporting education in that community and deriving, you know, the business line benefit, whether that's through, um, you know, attracting that talent into retail or career positions, building, you know, a customer base with um, that, you know, high school to college audience and beyond, um, or whether that's, you know, just doing what small businesses do, you know, better than anybody else, and that is, you know, supporting the issues that are most important to the local community. And, you know, education is always at the top of that list. But, you know, connecting with DECA chapter in their community, again, to Stan's point, gives that local business an opportunity to do well in it by doing good. It's all good, and it really is terrific to have you here with us today. Uh, John, there's so much more we could spend hours on if time allowed, but given the clock is going to come to a top-of-the-hour heartbreak for us, um, we don't want to let you get away without first telling the audience how they can get back in touch with you to pick the conversation up from where we have to let it go today. So please share with the audience some contact information and perhaps um, where you may be beyond here in Atlanta, um, places where they may be able to find you or see DECA in action? Sure. Well, uh, my email address, if anybody is interested in learning more about DECA, is J-O-H-N underscore F-I-S-T-O-L-E-R-A at DECA.org. And for volunteer information, again, it's D-E-C-A dot org forward slash volunteer uh, but but virtually you know not virtually literally anywhere that your audience is doing business there's a DECA chapter and um, I'm happy to connect anyone in your audience with with DECA at their local level at their state level and if they're a national brand that you know has any of the business related interests you know uh, HR again uh, uh, sales and marketing, or CSR, I'm happy to, you know, craft the partnership that makes um, sense to their brand and adds value on, on both sides of the ball. But uh, this spring we are are in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, then we will take a summer break, like our, well, virtually, or at least a programming break. Our staff doesn't go on break. And then we come back uh, next fall and we'll be in the, uh, Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area for programming, New York City area for programming, and then Orlando, Florida for our major event uh, uh, next April 2019. It's been great having you with us, John. Looking forward to seeing you here in Atlanta next month. Looking forward to a reunion with Sean Goldsmith, who, by the way, uh, went on from his high school uh, DECA program and his Don DeBolt Scholarship Award some, I don't know, a dozen years ago to um, Cornell University and graduated from Cornell and is right now back in Atlanta working for one of our favorite franchisees in the world, Doc Cohn, and learning more about the business of franchising from the bottom up. So the impact that DECA made, I would hope, had a small bit of influence on Sean's career, but I'm really proud to watch him grow and further develop into the world of franchising, and I attribute that to DECA. I attribute that to you. Thanks so much for being with us today, John Fistolera. Hey, thank you both, and thanks to the franchise community for your support of DECA programs over the years. It's a pleasure, John. It's John. a pleasure. Paul, we could have gone on for hours more. There's, I mean, we're taking leaps. We're doing like a skimming of a, of a stone across a lake when trying to talk about all the things that DECA's involved with. In, in the course of an hour, I can tell you one memory for me that will never go away was when I got to Dallas and got to see the ICDC um, 
I got angry, actually. I got angry that we don't hear about this on the news. I, I gave John mm-hmm. an earful. Of, why, why isn't this on the radio? Why, you know, why do we hear all that's wrong with America and nobody is showing us these 17 or 18,000 kids in khakis, blue blazers, Oxford shirts, striped ties, uh, doing what they were doing with passion. This isn't something that they're forced to do. You know, there's a difference between young kids that go out and get jobs after school because parents tell them they need to, um, or kids like these DECA kids who, when corporate sponsors get the opportunity to hire or recruit or even local businesses to hire and recruit uh, frontline employees that come out of a DECA program, you're dealing with kids that want to work. You're dealing with kids that are getting class credit for working. It's a whole different paradigm. And I thought, I thought when I met Doug Quimby, um, and he came to us through the Wing Zone scholarship, uh, the Don DeBold scholarship, oh, so many years ago. I thought he was a one-off. He and my son were virtually about the same age at that time, Paul. And it just blew me away that uh, there were 17,000 more just like him. <laughs> when I met them at that ICDC in Dallas, I was floored. And I really encourage anybody in the audience to step up and toe into this water and, and learn more about what I'm waxing eloquent about it's it's a life-changing event for you and the kids that you impact yeah i know the first time i went to uh, a deca event and like i said i only had heard it from um, my kids that were involved in school and i thought oh you know that that sounds like a a neat program and then we went up to one of the local competitions and of course that wasn't anything near what the national competitions are like and I, i i was just blown away I was awestruck. Um, I was amazed. And just like you said, I I was kind of a little bit taken back, like, why isn't this more mainstream? And then also today, as we were going through this and talking about young entrepreneurship, of course, I I, I had to keep thinking of of our good friend Jennifer Cashel and all she's done for young entrepreneurs the worldwide. I mean, this is just great. This is the future of, of small business. It's the future of our economy. It's certainly the future uh, of franchising. And uh, my heart's, my hat is off to people like John and people like Jennifer and, and people like, like Sean. I saw that him and uh, another good friend of ours, Lee Play, was up at Cornell University speaking to a group um, yep. in the last week or so. So it's just, just absolutely tremendous. Thanks for bringing him on the show today, Stan. It's a pleasure, and thank you for bringing Jennifer Cashel into the conversation as well. It makes me realize I'm long overdue for a check-in with her and the work that she's doing. The whole next-gen program with IFA um, that has just exploded over the last few years would never have even been a glimmer of anything to anyone without the work that Jennifer did to to bring this to the IFA in the first place. And so, uh, yeah, I'm overdue to check in with Jennifer for sure. Absolutely. Until next week, my name is Paul Segreto, wishing you the best, the very best in this great, great, great thing we refer to as franchising. Franchise Today is our franchise pros. Stan the man, Paul Segreto. Time to show you the way of franchising today. Hey, do you possess the spirit of an entrepreneur? Want to lay your business plan down like a rug or a floor? Or maybe you have a dream of opening a chain of delis? Or whatever passion likes to pilot life under your belly? Or do you want to start a business, fam, using the proven trademark from another brand? Huh. And grow together and expand like a rage of fire from a single to a multi-unit empire. Well, pay attention to this podcast that you hear and streaming in HD fine-tuned above your ears, and Stan and Paul lays down the law, whether you want to be a franchisee or a franchisor, it's all about sustainable growth, the sensible franchising, proving concepts to start enterprises, so use your left and right side of your brain and absorb this knowledge here of franchising today, huh, Badlands, baby, huh, franchising today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today. Sustainable growth. The sensible franchise. Franchise today.